Hello, everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. One of the greatest joys of growing older is the joy of becoming a grandparent. Margaret Mead once said, everyone needs to have access to both grandparents and grandchildren in order to be a full human being. On a lighter note, it has also been said that grandparents are there to help kids get into mischief they haven't thought of yet. On today's episode of Camp Codger, we'll be talking with Sharon Lovejoy, author of a book called Camp Granny. Sharon will share the fun side of being a grandparent, and she's got lots of activities and projects that grannies and grandpas can do with their grandkids. But first, I want to share an email we received from Mike Reardon, a listener in Chicago. He writes, Richard, Gary, and Randy, thank you for producing such a remarkable, educational, and thought-provoking experience with Camp Codger. Your wit and wisdom is my ear candy every week. After 40 years at the Tribune and 10 years at the Art Institute of Chicago, I embraced retirement with trepidation. I have found, though, ways to now channel my time and talents into even more purposeful and mission-driven commitments. I've never been busier as a nonprofit volunteer, civic leader, and nearby fun, engaged grandfather of Michael, Brendan, Colin, and Nora. Best jobs ever. I love the joy that you stoke with both the memories of our golden youth and the opportunity of even better times ahead in our golden years. Your podcast has helped me to look inward and outward as I try to be my best self. In your recent conversation on ageism, I am allowing myself to celebrate my age and enjoy each new day as a vigorous, outgoing 70-year-old. I encourage friends, neighbors, and health club acquaintances to join Camp Codger and listen to you three fun podcast Pied Pipers. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the kind words, Mike. We're delighted you enjoy listening to Camp Codger as much as we do creating our podcast episodes. I think Mike is my new best friend. <laughs> Mike is a good friend. Anyway, I think Mike's going to enjoy this episode because he enjoys being a grandfather. So it's going to be a perfect episode for Mike. Randy, take us to Camp Granny. Our special guest today is Sharon Lovejoy. In many ways, Sharon is a Renaissance woman who's been a successful artist, writer, creator, shop owner, mother, and grandmother. Her book, Camp Granny, is currently ranked number four in the grandparenting books category on Amazon.com. Sharon has taken grandparenting to a whole new level. In the introduction to her book, Sharon writes, Running a successful and fulfilling Camp Granny isn't about having a giant flat-screen television with 300 channels, a big swimming pool, or the latest computer games. It is about you and the time you share with your grandchild. Sharon, I'm delighted to welcome you to Camp Codger. I'm so glad. What prompted you to write Camp Granny? Well, I found that children are being so latchkey now. You know, their parents both have to work in order to support a family. And we sort of stepped in to help out our son and his wife. And we felt that just time was the most important thing that we could give our grandchildren and experiences. But they all had to be very simple experiences, fun. I want to be the eccentric, quirky, 
person in their life. I want them to know that it's okay to have fun and to laugh at their grandma and to see failures and successes and just to enjoy life. I do think that time is the number one thing that we have to give our grandchildren. Just like going out in a garden. No child will go out in a garden and garden unless they have somebody that introduces them to a garden. No boy will go out and bird watch or girl unless somebody's going to help them identify those birds and make friends out of them. So I think that the best gift that we have is while we have it is healthy, happy time with our grands. Mm, That's great. That's so great. So have you always been a fun grandma? You write in uh, your book that a grandparent can be more free-spirited and playful with her grandchildren than a parent is with her child. Can you expand on that? We don't have those rules, you know, that that parents seem to have. And while we do uh, emphasize good manners and kindness to other people and all those basic tenets that sometimes get lost in the raising with the fast-paced screen time world that we have now. I mean, let me give you an example. We sit down at the table. I'm sorry, this is old-fashioned, but I have cloth napkins and napkin rings, different one for each child. And we eat off of China. We don't allow phones at the table. We have certain rules. But then when it comes to having fun out in the park or out on the side of a hill or in the garden or in the kitchen, I'm all for it. And I, I like to break rules. And I want those kids to know as long they don't as they don't jeopardize themselves or do anything to hurt anyone else. Sometimes you can go painting outside the lines and coloring outside the lines and get great results. Well, I got to ask the follow-up, which was, if you're a great grandma, fun grandma, what kind of parent were you? Were you fun? When I met Jeff and married Jeff, my son was 10 years old. I couldn't help it. Noah made me laugh all the time. And he would do something horrible, and I'd laugh. I don't know how to describe that, but I was pretty easygoing. But I did have certain standards, and he did adhere to those standards. And then when we finally went to, we got called into his high school, and his teacher said, I don't know what to do. I laugh whenever he does anything wrong. So I knew it wasn't just me. But I raised him in a very kind of easygoing way. And we were sort of partners because I was a single parent. We, we grew up together. It was pretty wonderful. Yeah. And I like, I like being in this town now and having him and our grands within just 10 minutes. So it's great. That's a real blessing to be close by, isn't it? It is. Well, you do turn into a chauffeur <laughs> and a few other things, but you know, um, It's a blessing, and I get to see all those different stages of growth. I have a 10-year-old right now who's kind of at that awkward stage. He's, it's just so fun to see him finding himself. And I have a 16-year-old. He thinks he knows everything. He thinks he found himself a long time ago. He's cool. (laughs) And I, and I have a 21-year-old who's going into the world and uh, she got an internship very prestigious internship at her college going into environmental science so that made me happy so you get to be a part of the mundane as well as the as the glorious moments and I think the mundane moments are really important to be there to be a catchment net when those kids need you Mm. one of the challenges you mentioned is the remote grandparents in fact, in today's world, mm-hmm. you know, I live a thousand, over a thousand miles away from my grandson. You don't stay in touch. It's hard to stay in touch. What do you suggest? 
first of all, I love snail mail, and I like to write letters, real letters, because kids don't even know about snail mail, some of them. But I always illustrated the letters. For instance, if I wrote to Asher, I'd I'd pick up a big, long piece of birch bark, and I'd do a drawing of a porcupine and tell him about what was going on. I'd, I'd do letters for the children, because we were living in Maine a lot of that time when we were fixing up our cottage in Maine. I also did a monthly bookmark where I'd have a picture of the child and we'd reproduce it and then I'd write something about that time when we were together when that picture was taken or I'd send bookmarks of when their when their moms and dads were young. I think that FaceTime and Zoom and all of those things are really good. And I like texting because kids are so text oriented. I do text them a lot. And they text back right away. It might be monosyllabic, just like their talk is sometimes. But they know that, I, that I'm thinking of them, and I know that they're thinking of me and answering me. And they treat me very respectfully. I treat them with equal respect, mm. so that's really important. I would do a book of the month club, find a book that I loved, buy that book and ship it to them and write on the inside and you know tell them a little bit about the book. And make those books part of the fabric of their lives. And anything I could do to just drip, drip, drip when I was away. And it and it did keep us in touch. It did work. So I know even though you're a thousand miles away, you can drip. <laughs> Don't be a drip. Don't be a drip. But you can drip. Sharon, one of the things I love about your book, which is called Camp Granny, which is also what I love about your book, the title, mm-hmm. you talk about <laughs> grandparenting close by and long distance. One of the early sections of your book is called Make Way for Grandkids. It's full of ways to prepare your home for a visit from your grandkids. I love the kind of things that you put in that section. And one of those I have uh, independently done with my wife. We have created a costume bin. Uh, You talked about having a place where there's just a bunch of costumes and dress-up stuff. And that has been so handy for me as a grandpa to know that that's literally a bag of tricks that we can go to at at any time. What are some of your other favorites? By the way, I'm thrilled that you do that because I see such a part of my grandchildren when they're acting in, you know, in costume, when they assume a different identity. And you can often get to a lot of truth when you, when you watch them act out in those costumes. I love sleepovers. And I think uh, having either a pop-up tent or my friend had a closet that was empty that she outfitted for kids. It was just, it was charming. It sounds like a dungeon, but it was not a dungeon. It was wonderful. But a pop-up tent or a tent for the kids in by you, if they're afraid to spend their first nights with you, it makes it feel like they're on a camp out. We got the kids little... um, L.L. Bean crank up solar powered lights that they could use for sneaking a read in at night. I got my grandchildren their own sleeping bag. So Sarah had one that had uh, dragonflies on it and Mo had bears and Luke had something else. So, you know, just having these things for them that make them feel like they have a place in your house. And then I, I kept what I called a life board, but Really, they were two large, probably four foot long cork boards, 
And anytime they won a, a Cougar Award or got a, a letter home from the teacher or did special art, I put it up on the life board and I kept current and past photos on there. And it was funny because my granddaughter, Ileana, who's 25, brought her boyfriend here uh, last Christmas and she said, come in here and take a look at my life. So to the children, that's their life. They're immortalized in in the extra room and I kept a photo and I still keep a photo basket a shallow picnic basket mounded with family photos that go through the ages and that include things like grandmas and aunts and uncles who are now gone so that kids can go through and they ask who is this tell me that about them so it becomes almost like a story basket and it's really important and because of that, uh, my children found out that there, they had many family members buried in Altadena, California at the Quaker Cemetery. And just two months ago, they went down to put flowers on the graves and to see what those family members were like, to read their tombstones. It's not bizarre. It's a way of honoring our past and honoring our elders. Of course, you guys wouldn't know anything about being elders. <laughs> oh, <but laughs> no, we wouldn't. Still discovering. I love old-fashioned games, and I keep a big crock with uh, pickup sticks and uh, Old Maid and Go Fish and all these different card games. The kids love them. And, you know, it's not like playing Monopoly where you're committed to hours and hours because kids don't, at this stage, they don't have a long attention span. So these fun games, and it's great to be a loser because they really thrive on grandma being a loser. (laughs) And then I keep these big industrial size mayo jars that you can get for free a lot of times from restaurants. And we make those into time capsules. Things that the kids may want preserved I love going out. We, we do a time capsule for each child. And then on a certain day of the year, we bury it and we write down when it's going to come up. You know, we keep a pantry door with their heights and everything. And we could record when the time capsule went in the ground. So it's another way to treasure their family memories and to remember what it was like to be a little kid. And to remember what it was like to have grandparents around who really loved you. So I've got a lot of tricks in the book, and most of them don't cost money. Are there any issues involved with having uh, grandkids, two or more, of different genders? Do you have trouble kind of paying attention to each one or making sure the design is okay for each one? No. we Well, we go outside so much, Richard. That's the great equalizer Mm. going out in nature. There's no male Mm. or female. They're all adventurers. We do scavenger hunts and all sorts of things. But there's no, you know, boy things or girlfriends. In fact, I'm pretty big for fairy houses, and the boys are down on their bellies playing in the mud and in the moss (laughs) and creating their own. They call them gnome houses, but, you know, they love doing that too. So I would say going out in the garden and also in the kitchen. We do a lot of science and a lot of cooking in our kitchen. You know, none of those are gender specific, nor are they age specific. We may have to ramp down a little bit for the younger guy. It's an incredible tradition. And now I see my grandson, Mo, who is 16, now is teaching his brother how to cook in our kitchen and doing things and saying, well, in our family, we do our sunny side ups eggs this way. And this is how you do French toast. And this is how you do frog on a lily pad, you know, so... It gets passed down by the other children, too. 
That's awesome. I'm hearing you say all these wonderful things and describe all these wonderful activities, and I want to be your grandson. Can I I be an honorary grandson? (laughs) Am I too old? No, you're never too old. You're actually you're more the grandfather age, but I'll take you under my wing and you can be my honorary grandson. <laughs> it's interesting. This book is a natural for you. It wasn't contrived. This was this was about no, you. No, it wasn't hard how to you do. Related your grandkids, how you responded to them. It was really it's really fascinating to listen to how this book must have come about. And isn't it wonderful that their photographs are in there? It's like a family album. Those are all my grandchildren. So to be able to see that, it makes it even better. You know, it's it's pretty wonderful to see those kids, to see how much they've grown and how much they've changed. Yet they all have a very good fabric of ethics and tolerance. And, you know, it's it's pretty wonderful. It really is. You've talked a lot about in the garden outside. Have you taken your kids, your grandkids, further afield into the mountains, into the woods? What's that like? Yes. They don't have any fears. They're excited about everything, and they remind us all, as Richard Henry Dana once said, in heart be a child, because they lead us on that pathway, and they teach us to look at things really closely In fact, that's a book that I'm working on right now about us stopping to notice all those small things we may overlook. We're lucky to have a wonderful park with a creek going through it quite close to us. And many of the photos in Camp Granny were either in our house, our garden, or the park because that was where the photographers could go too. And to see them interacting and playing in the creek where we made uh, underwater viewers for them and the kids could use them and show the photographer how they were used and we would uh, go wading and build dams and, you know, the things that I got to do when I was growing up in Highland Park and Pasadena and Altadena and Royal Seco, these kids get to do the same thing. And so many American kids don't, or so many kids don't. I was giving a talk at the New York Botanical Garden and I was thinking, how do these kids survive in this huge city? Oh my gosh, how do they get their nature fixed? And then I looked and there were kids and they were playing on the sidewalk and the gutter had water. God only knows what was in the water, but they were down, they were sailing things in the water and they were just playing like kids do. Kids don't often see all the the roadblocks there for them. They they see the beauty or they see the mystery or they see the pill bugs. They see the potato bug. They see the dragonflies. They're seeing the good. And that's what we have to do. Did I answer your question or did I go <laughs> off on a great. tangent? Sorry. Sorry, I went on a tangent. Water is sort of like the biggest magnet for kids, whether it's going out in the garden and watering plants, squirting each other, playing in a bucket of water, wading in water. Water is the kid magnet, definitely. It is fantastic. So if you can get around and run around at the beach or you can run around a creek or you can go to a a lake, what could be better? You know, we all love to make leaf boats and have all sorts of things in the water. So that's a great thing for them to do. Where did the um, genesis of Camp Granny, the book, come from? This book is so you, and it really is. This is who you are. This is the way you live your life. A lot of naturalist things, a lot of gardening, a lot of outdoor activities. At what point did you say, 
I'm going to do a book about this. And was that a direct result of you just doing this with your, your grandkids anyway? I, th I think it was, but I also I have to tell you that I worked with probably thousands of children because I had uh, an herb and garden shop in Cambria Pines, California, and I did classes, and I had the schools. I had a community garden that my husband Jeff and I built, and our sons, unwilling laborers, but we had a quarter-acre community garden, and the schools would come and do harvests, and I did the 4-H uh, children, and festivals. I did a Rosemary Festival and a Children's Fairy Festival, and I also worked as a naturalist um, at the Morro Bay Museum of Natural History and taught kids about great blue herons and edible plants and things like that. So, you know, it was kind of a bottled up thing from all my years of working with children and then also seeing how their lives became more marginalized and it went from this big outdoor experience and it just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller to take the latch key, open the door, go in, you can make yourself a peanut butter sandwich and you can watch TV or you can get on your computer. And I just thought, if I'm lucky enough to have a publisher who believes in me, and that would have been Peter Workman, who was one of the last independent publishers, an incredible man. He, he believed in what I was doing. He believed in Nature for Children. He believed in what could be done through this book. The first name of this book was called Toad Cottages and Shooting Stars. And people didn't get what it was. But then when they named it Camp Granny, then it also cut off people that weren't grannies, you know, that, that might have been using it for scouts or Girl Scouts or brownies or campfire girls. or So it, it's had a strange life, but really it's used by school teachers and everything and by uh, child care workers. And so I don't know what's in a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could, it could easily be Camp Mom, right? Parents can use this book the same way grandparents can. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, In some ways I feel like it circumscribes things to have a camp granny but you know maybe a lot of moms just don't have the time but they, I have so many simple things in there that hardly take any time that they can use and I, and I want them to I don't want it just to be grandparents I want it to be you know the kids showing their parents how to do things so I'm very lucky that it's done well and um, that it's still in print that's a, always a shocker do because things come in and they go out. I think the idea of being Camp Granny actually has some value because we just did an episode on loneliness. Basically, the lack of multi-generational living. Exactly. And this book opens that up. It invites grandparents into their ch grandchildren's lives. And so maybe the title, in some respects, works in that dimension. Well, I, I think intergenerational activities are really, really important and that's why I have the two-page spreads of nature things that people can go out and do no matter what their age. Our San Luis Obispo Botanical Garden, we just did a children's fairy festival on Mother's Day. And it was so heartwarming because it was the biggest day they've ever had there. It was the first one. It was modeled after the ones we used to do at my business in Cambria. And we had over a 1,000 people attend. But it wasn't just children or a mom, or a dad, it was mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Aunt Sue, you know, it was 
sometimes there would be six people with the children. So I really, at my business also, I did multi-generational things. I really feel that that's, I mean, do we want to live next door to just codgers? No, <laughs> we want all ages, right? I, I love kids. I told my husband, he said, nobody ever wants to buy a house by a school. I love hearing kids yes. play outdoors and scream and mm-hmm. laugh. And, you know, we want to have intergenerational communities. Yes. That's why some of these new co-housing communities are so great that have young families. They have community gardens, community chicken coops. And, you know, they're not alternative. They're, they're just sort of like it was in the 1800s and the early 1900s when grandma lived with you. Right. Yeah, a lot of what's in your book seems very retro, but it it's retro <laughs> oh, gosh. It's retro in the most delightful way. Absolutely. You know, we we don't take time to go out and look under rocks anymore. There's a world under yeah, a rock. Absolutely. Actually, and I think I think it comes down to um like like we're talking about grandparents, the intergenerational uh, society. We have more time. We have more experience. Heck, we, we remember turning rocks over and making water inventions in the backyard and stuff. Uh, it's a great thing to be able to pass down to a, another generation, Our you know, our grandkids. I guess what I want really want to stress is it's out there for the looking and for the touching and for the smelling and kids are fascinated by mud they're fascinated by sand they're the primal things the things that are free so I've always um, been an herbalist and I love edible flowers and when I was helping some children in our town with their science projects you know the parents said stay away from anything poisonous what I did was I didn't stay away from the poisonous things I taught them do you see this stalk of this plant that's got the red dots all over it think of that as blood spots that's poison hemlock and that's deadly poison wow those kids that learned about the poisons and how they had affected people and what mushrooms had you know killed people those kids still remember that and I get letters from people on Facebook and Instagram, who grew up in my gardens and who still use the books, and they have grandchildren now. They remember those lessons that were out in the field. It's really important. My grandson uh, yesterday came over before um, uh, his physical for football, and um, he brought his brother. And yeah, I know, grandma doesn't want that, but he brought his brother and he showed him how you pick a feijoa and you eat the petal. And the petal tastes like vanilla ice cream. And I showed Lukey how you pick a shrimp plant. You pull out the nectary and you suck the honey from the bottom like you do with honeysuckle. These things are free. Hmm. And I once wrote a book called Mother Nature's A to Z, Free for the Picking Toy Factory, which met with a resounding plop. But I was able to put a lot of those things into Camp Granny useful things that you can teach your kids and what's edible and what's not and how to use it. Cool. That's awesome. Well, Sharon, you have any, uh, any thoughts for us in a modern, uh, more urbanized world? How do we stay connected to nature? What can we do with our kids that, and grandkids that keeps them aware of, of, a, of a bigger world? Well, first of all, I am addicted to farmer's markets. <laughs> 
I don't know about you, but even when we went to France and Italy or anywhere, I wanted to go to the farmer's market. And I take my grandchildren to the farmer's markets. I talk to the farmers. Uh, we converse with the farmers. We talk to the cheesemakers. The kids have a narrow band of what they'll tolerate and taste. Although out in my garden, they seem to taste whatever I give them. Uh, I'll try to use a little modicum of self-control. And uh, so the farmer's markets are incredibly important. And that happens in New York City, happens in mm -hmm. Detroit, happens all over. Community gardens are incredibly important. And plain old growing things indoors is really important. I started growing things in tomato cans and, uh, oh, I hate to say it, but my father's old beer cans <laughs> pop the top off and grow pine seeds in it. It's really tacky. We were cooking in our kitchen and I said, I had a bag of dry beans and I said, uh, do you want to cook all these beans and that's it for them? Or do you want to take some of them out and plant them and make a bean teepee? And the kids went, let's save some of them. So we did a big pot in the kitchen in the wind on the windowsill and we planted, we soaked the beans and then we planted them around the perimeter. And then I made a little miniature teepee and those kids were thrilled when those came up. And I have a garbage garden section, and that's certainly relevant for inner-city children. Grow garbage. I mean, it, there's so much life force left in a potato that's rotten in one part. There's so much life in a sweet potato. There's so much life in a turnip. There's life in an onion or a garlic that you force. You can pick up an acorn and put it in a narrow vase, and it'll sprout. You know, So all of these things put you in touch with nature. You can go out on a walk, and you can pick up leaves from the ground. You can bring them back and do leaf rubbings. You can do nature journal entries, which I do all the time. It, it helps kids connect to the natural world. There are great parks. I went to parks in New York City that were astounding. Um, the High Line, you know, Central Park, uh, the community gardens that Bette Midler had a hand in. All of these things are such great, valuable experiences for kids. But start with the farmer's market. Well, that's great <laughs> advice. Well, Sharon, you are such a joy to talk to. We could probably talk to you for another hour. Yeah. But... The uh, Camp Codger clock says we've got to wrap this up. <laughs> we have to take our you, nap now. Is it a cuckoo clock? <laughs> it's a cuckoo. Is it a codger cuckoo clock? <laughs> it's just a really, really old clock. The so big hand is on the 12. The little hand is on the... Th <laughs> uh, what a wonderful time to spend with yeah, you. you three. There's no doubt in my mind that your your grandkids have had a wonderful life with you and uh, you know growing up with all that kind of incredible creativity. Uh, I wish you would do a, uh, a class for grandparents so that you could teach the rest of us how to do what you do naturally. That's a good idea. <laughs> An online if course. You, ooh, I if like you, that. Hey, when we're, on our, when we're on our way to Maine, right? We'll do a granny class somewhere. <laughs> granny, grampy class. That sounds good to me. I'll sign up. Tell our listeners where people can find out more information about your books and your work and everything. Well, I have a website. SharonLovejoy.com. And I'm on Instagram, Sharon Lovejoy Author. And I'm on Facebook, Sharon Lovejoy. Hmm, that's a familiar name. <laughs> and um, I get a lot of letters, and I am good about answering letters. I am not good about talking on the phone. I won't answer the phone, actually, unless I see it's my grands. I'm available to talk to people, and I do, you know, lots of Zoom things with people. That's awesome. It and I know for a fact that your books are on Amazon because I bought Camp Granny on Amazon.com. So there. Yeah, they are. They're, they're in a lot of uh, museum shops and uh, 
natural history museums and, and zoos and things like that, too. So that's good. And garden shops and botanical garden shops. So I'm lucky that I had Peter Workman and Workman Publishing and that they keep their backlist alive. Well, thank you, Sharon. Thanks yeah. to all of you out there that are listening to this incredible episode. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with author and grandmother par excellence, Sharon Lovejoy. You can buy her book, Camp Granny, on her website, SharonLovejoy.com, in museum shops, at bookstores around the U.S., and on Amazon. Join us next week when the old codgers take on another topic we hope you will find interesting. We will confess to another codger moment in admitting that we are behind the eight ball in episode planning and really don't know what will come up next in the topic queue. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger on your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.